Today's episode of The Movies That Made Her But Not Me is sponsored by FilmCred. Providing new film critics and writers in-depth feedback on their writing, FilmCred is made up of a community of collaborators dedicated to publishing insightful reviews, interviews, video essays, and coverage of film festivals. Visit film-cred.com to learn more. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to offer a quick note about the content being discussed. Harold and Maude is a really serious movie that deals with a lot of heavy topics, so Lauren and I are going to be discussing things like suicide, the Holocaust, comedy, and the intersection of all three. If this is something that you feel uncomfortable listening to, we totally respect and understand that, and we look forward to having you again on our next episode about the magical world of Ella Enchanted. With all that being said... Thank you, and enjoy Harold and Maude. Hello everyone, I'm Minna Stein. And I'm Lauren Lloyd. And you are listening to the movies that made her, but not me the podcast where we discuss classic films from different generational perspectives. The classic film we're discussing today is the 1971 cult film Harold and Maude. Let's set the scene. The movie is Harold and Maude. Released in 1971, Harold and Maude didn't actually make a profit until 1983. When it first came out, the film received mixed reviews, with some critics totally understanding the film's thesis and others offended by it. Why? Because Harold and Maude is a love story between a 20-year-old man, Harold, and an 80-year-old woman, Maude. Harold is disappointed with his life, constantly cooking up ways to escape reality. Harold fakes his own death repeatedly and attends funerals for fun. At one of the funerals, he meets a 79-year-old firecracker named Maude, who from minute one lives each and every second of her life to the fullest. Together, they teach each other things about life and learn how to love. Directed by Hal Ashby and written by Colin Higgins, Harold and Maude is based on Higgins' master thesis from film school. Attitudes on Harold and Maude have changed drastically throughout the years. In 1972, Roger Ebert was writing, The visual style makes everyone look fresh from the wax museum, and all the movie lacks is a lot of day-old gardenias and lilies and roses in the lobby, filling the place with a clive sweet smell. But today... It's an acclaimed cult classic with a large modern following. The year is 1971. As critics scratched their heads over Harold and Maude, the Pentagon Papers were published in the New York Times. The 26th Amendment was passed, allowing 18-year-olds to vote, and Disney World was opening in Orlando, Florida. Mariner 9 became the first spacecraft to orbit another planet, the third successful manned mission to the moon launched, and women were finally granted the right to vote in Switzerland. Lauren Lloyd was also a young movie watcher and a harsh critic, but fortunately, she didn't share the same distaste for Harold and Maude as other viewers. Lauren, tell me about the first time you saw Harold and Maude. Okay, the first time I saw Harold and Maude, um, I uh, remember, I, I, I think the thing that really attracted me was uh, the way the story unfolded, in a way. I mean, in the, I was, first of all, let me just say I love this movie so much it's painful. I'm like, I'm, do you see my pain, Minna? <laughs> I see the pain. It really, I just worship this movie. It really, really spoke to me. But it took me a while to understand what was going on and what the tone was. I mean, when you see the movie, 
you know, it opens up and you see these shoes and they look kind of well-made, like, what's this man doing? You know, and he walks over and he's doing these things. You're like, what is going on? He gets a rope. And then you think that some man's doing something. And then just in the upper left corner, you see, you know, Bud Court's little face come in and you go, oh my God, it's a child. What's going on? And then with the Cat Stevens music, which kind of bookends most of the scenes, you know, I, I was fascinated. I mean, you know, you don't really have a movie that opens up with a suicide, a hanging. And then when he's hanging there and his mom, Vivian Pickles, who's the queen of understatement, um, comes in and you're like, oh my God, save him, save him. And she's like, Harold, she takes another phone, a phone call. Harold, I suppose you think that's funny. Dinner's at eight. And you go, oh, he's trying to get his mother's attention, which I totally related to. So what I loved about this movie when I first saw it was the idea of, it's kind of changed literally like a paragon in my brain. Paragon? Paradigm? Paradigm. Paradigm. All right, so you're going to edit that out. There. <laughs> sure. All right, good. Um, that, you know, to look at things in such an interestingly positive way. Do you know, she was so, she was representing, I guess, life and he's representing death. But um, I was just amazed at um, just her joy for life. There's another moment which I was amazed by. I mean, every moment I was amazed by, all the way he tried to kill himself was so fucking amazing but also when he finally says to Maud why he's obsessed with death and he tells this tiny little story about experimenting and he's and then that blows up in the school and he runs home and his the police tell his parent his mom that he's dead and a couple of things first of all the story was amazing when he says I'd rather be dead I'm more comfortable but the other thing is that in most movies, you would embrace that person and say, it's okay. And she doesn't do that at all. She says, like, you know, that's a great story. You've got to learn to live with that. And I was like, whoa. So it was all, it, it showed that, like, weirdly, all experiences are lessons that form who you are. It was laid in so beautifully that she's turning 80 soon. You know, and you just go like, okay, it's like a throwaway, a throwaway, a throwaway. And she said exactly what she's going to do. At 80, it's time to go. 85? I don't think so. And so, as he's falling in love, and you totally believe it. The age meant nothing, and I found that shocking. Um, you totally go like, this is a beautiful love story between these two. So, so he's like, I'm going to marry her, and we're going to live life great. And, and she just says... Uh, it's a great farewell. Are you going anywhere, he says. And she's like, yeah, I just took the pills. And you can't believe it. And you see it all in his face. And I just couldn't believe that this beautiful love story was going to end this way. And then the way it's shot is extraordinary. Do you know, it's like there's some music over and you see him at the hospital and no one's really talking. Do you know, there's no sound and the doctor comes in and he just crumples. Oh just found it extraordinary and then at the very end when he's driving the car it's kind of um cut in with this ending in her death and you're like what's he doing where's he going and the car goes off the cliff and bam crashes down and of course you think he chose to die to be with her but he didn't because her message was so strong that he chose to live and he's looking at his little banjo and he's skipping away Ugh. I I was joking with someone before we started recording that um, 
this episode should be called The Movies That Made Her and Also Her. Because Very nice. Okay. <laughs> this movie was everything to me when I first saw it. First saw it when I was 17 years old. Perfect. Had never heard about it before. How did you find it? Had never listened to a Cat Stevens song before my what? life. What? Oh. My dad was like, oh, there's this movie, Harold and Maude. It's like the cult classic. You have to see it. It's amazing. His parents took him to see it. Oh, he was my a little kid God. That's came incredible. Out. Yeah. So he's like, you've got to see it. Then you're going to love it. So we watched it together. I was weeping. <gasps> I was so moved by it. Yes, yes. I became obsessed with Cat Stevens. Yes, of course. Playing it everywhere I go. Mm-hmm. I, I just... I didn't know what to do with this movie because it was so overwhelmingly amazing. Mm-hmm. I went to college and I they were showing it on the big screen. I think they played it for three nights, oh. like a matinee and an evening show. I went to all of them, all three days. And I dragged people every time that I went. All my friends. I've shown the movie to like three different dates that I went on. Awesome. Like I'm obsessed with this movie and I'm obsessed with sharing it with other people. And so if they don't like the movie, do you kind of think like, well, that I don't like that? You're out. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's a litmus test. It is. This movie is incredible. And every time I watch it, I get something different out of it. And I find it really interesting to watch with other people because Everybody that I watch it with gets something different out of it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it means something different to everybody who sees it, and some people get it, and other people do not get it at How all. How could they not? What's 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 crazy? I think it's a movie that kind of forces you to think about your own experiences, right? Because Ma's whole message is nothing in life really matters. So just like take it with a grain of salt and mm-hmm. think about all the great things that are going on. And mm-hmm. it makes you think about like how you live your life and what you should be doing differently. And if you're happy with the way that your attitude towards life is. Yeah. And so I think it makes people think about that when they see the movie, how free she is, mm-hmm. how free. Yeah. And he goes along with her. I believe that too. He just, he just was like, yeah, I'll go along. Um, I've, I've watched it with some people who thought, you know, it was fantastic and that they learned from Maude and I know that my friends and I always joke that she was the first manic pixie dream grandma. What? Yeah, you know like how manic pixie dream girls are like the girls in indie movies who like men attach themselves to and then the girl like is so eccentric and different that they force this man to change the way he lives his life. That's like a trope in movies. Well, she's a manic pixie dream grandma because she's so much older. Um, I have never heard that said. I have never heard that. Is that a common thing? Am I just out manic of it? Manic pixie dream girl? Yes. Yes, that's a common thing. All right, dream I'm writing grandma. it down. I'm writing it down. Manic pixie. Oh, my God. All right. I'm going to do a little, little investigating that. The best example is, I don't know if you've seen... Um, Scott Pilgrim versus the Universe. Yes. Yeah, Ramona Flowers is like the manic pixie dream girl. Oh my god. Um, and so we we say that Maude is manic pixie dream grandma because she serves that same purpose of like teaching the man in her life how to be better. Yeah. But um, so it's a good thing. Um, I think it depends on like how it's being used, right? I mean, I think the trope is overall can be bad because like the trope is that men need women to teach them well, how they to do. be better. <laughs> oh, hello. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. 
But like here, I, I don't know, it didn't have the same effect on me because Maude just kind of does whatever she wants mm-hmm. and Harold just kind of goes along with her. Mm-hmm. Like if he had said, oh, I don't want to come over for tea, she would have just been like, all right. And she would have just kept doing her thing. Like right. her life has nothing to do with him. Right. Really, she just does whatever and always lives in the moment. Um, but yeah, something that I wanted to talk to you about is I showed this movie to one of my friends and they were really upset by it and said that um, they thought that it trivialized suicide. <gasps> I don't know how you feel about that, but I thought that that was maybe um, a different perspective that I had never considered before. I haven't considered that either. Trivializes suicide. I don't... Um, I wonder why they thought that because I don't think anything... She made a decision on how she wanted to live her life. And end her life. And one of the things about the whole movie is accepting death. So Not about Maude, about um, Harold's like faking his death and shooting himself in the head and pretending to drown in the pool and hanging himself and lighting himself on fire and like slitting his wrist. Like there's so many like suicides that he does and then they're supposed to be, at least in my friend's opinion, they were supposed to be funny. They were like played as jokes when she felt like that trivialized suicide. Well, okay, I guess I can see your point, but I, I don't uh, I don't see that. Mm-hmm. I don't see that. Because I did think it was all funny because, you know, I think of the ways I try to get my mother's attention, and it was nothing as beautifully elaborate as what Harold was doing. And I thought it was awfully inventive, the things he was doing. I mean, he went all out. Like when he starts himself on fire, then he, which was shot so beautifully in the back while the mom is interviewing the first date, uh, and then he shows up in the in the room, yeah, no. And I also think that people of that age do think of suicide. I know I did, and, you know, um, I think they think of that as a possibility if their life is not going to be, you know, uh, roll out the way they see it. So what do you think? Do you think it's a, do you think that's true? I think that I had a completely different take on this movie than anyone that I've ever talked to about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I... So in that scene that you were talking about with the, the ring where Harold gives it to her and mm-hmm. she throws it in the water mm-hmm. and she says, that way I'll always know where it is mm-hmm. because it'll always be in this lake. Mm-hmm. When she throws it, it's revealed to the audience that she yes. is a Holocaust survivor yes. who was in Aus- Auschwitz camp. Mm-hmm. That kind of like reveals a whole different take and attitude on the movie, in mm-hmm. my opinion. I think that moment is so small and mm-hmm. so fleeting that you could totally miss it. Mm-hmm. I probably missed it the first time that I watched it, mm-hmm. um, but I've just seen it so many times that now, like, that one moment has completely shaped the way that I watched the movie. Um, I think that there's a couple different things going on with that. I think that this movie becomes a holocaust comedy kind of at the time right after the holocaust and you know going into the 60s that became a genre of movies of jews trying to deal with what happened and their only outlet being comedies um you see that in the dictator and duck soup and Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. all kinds of movies like that inglorious bastards even Mm -hmm. that's a more recent one but just you know this holocaust genre of people dealing with this thing that has affected either them directly or their family and the um, world and the world Mm -hmm. yeah i think that once i think of the movie in um that context i see those scenes as a really painful cry for help on harold's 
side. He is saying, I need someone to care about me. I, I need to be able to live, but I can't. This is my only option. He's like kind of stuck in this middle ground. Are you saying throughout the movie he's stuck in this Well, in the beginning of the movie. Then when he meets Maude, she's a Jew, and she teaches him a Yiddish proverb, which translate it, it means laughing with the lizards, laughing through the tears. Uh So, um, you know, something that I've heard a lot in Jewish film studies settings is, you know, laughing so you don't cry. Mm -hmm. And I felt like that was sort of Maude's lesson to Harold was like, yes, you will experience these horrible things where Mm -hmm. you feel like the only way that you can get through it is to kill yourself or pretend to kill yourself for someone else's attention. But that's actually not your only option. You can laugh through the tears Mm -hmm. if you want to, Mm -hmm. because that's what I've done. Mm -hmm. And there's that really beautiful scene where, you know, we kind of get more insight into that attitude for Maude, where we see the umbrella on the mantelpiece. Yeah. What is that up there? Oh, that's my umbrella. That's just a relic I found it when I was packing to come to America. It used to be my defense on picket lines and rallies and political meetings, being dragged off by the police and attacked by thugs of the opposition. What were you fighting for? Oh, big issues. Liberty, rights, justice. Kings died, kingdoms fell. I don't regret the kingdoms. What sense in borders and nations and patriotism? But I miss the kings. When I was a little girl, I was taken to the palace in Vienna to a garden party. I can still see the sun shining, the parasols, the flashing uniforms of the young officers. I thought then that I would marry a soldier. Later on, Frederick would chide me about it. He was so serious. The doctor at the university and in the government. But that was all before. So you don't use the umbrella anymore? No more revolts? Oh, oh, yes. Oh, every day. But I don't need a defense anymore. I embrace. Still fighting for the big issues. But now in my small, individual way. Shall we have a song? I think that there is nothing more Jewish than what she said in that one paragraph. I mean, it, it, it is kind of amazing you, to me. It gives you insight into her experience, mm-hmm. and she says, "You know, I don't use this umbrella anymore because that I discovered that that wasn't the right way mm-hmm. through that experience. Mm-hmm. It matters more how I live my life now because I went through something unimaginable. The only way that I can get back at them is to just live every moment of life to the absolute fullest, mm-hmm. and so that's where her lesson that she's teaching comes from. And I think understanding that con." context to me kind of takes out any of the silly like 
ooh, well, he's killing himself and, you know, they're playing it off as this comedy beat. But, like, I don't think it's supposed to be a comedy beat. Like, maybe the juxtaposition of his suicide with going on a first date or his mom, you know, turning his dating application into her own dating application. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. that can be funny. Right. But his actual suicide is, like, no one sees me, no one understands me, and I'm I'm asking for help, but no one's listening. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of my interpretation on it. I agree with everything you're saying. I'll tell you what, I didn't... Uh, that's a beautiful scene with the umbrella. Um, I didn't know that that was a, like a Jewish proverb or something that was said. The way I saw it, not the way I saw that was um, when you see the, the numbers on her wrist, I thought, oh, now I understand everything. You know, to me, it was a very brief moment for us to understand what she went through and who she is now. Mm-hmm. Just like the thing with um, Harold saying that I started a big fire and then my, you know, my, my parents were told I was dead and I was happier in that state. Um, but that really is much, much deeper, what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's just how I interpret it. And, like, even explains her reaction to that one, um, you know, that story that he tells about about his lighting the fire and his parents thinking he was dead and, like, her not being like, oh, my gosh, that's so sad. I'm so sorry that happened to you. She was just like, and? Right. We got to move on. Like, we can't let anything bad that happens to us get in our way. Yeah. We just have to acknowledge it. And get on with our lives. Yeah. Well, she finds the beauty in every single moment. She's so <laughs> present. It's crazy. I decided I, then that I enjoyed being dead. I understand a lot of people enjoy being dead. But they're not dead, really. They're just backing away from life. Reach out. Take a chance. Get hurt, even. Play as well as you can. Go, team. Go. Give me an L. Give me a Give me a D. Give me an E. L-I-V-E. Live. Otherwise, you got nothing to talk about in the locker room. A reason why I kind of had to watch the movie multiple times to see the Jewishness and the Holocaust um, influence on the movie was because, you know, at the time that the movie came out, 1971, the Holocaust had just happened, like, a few years before the movie. You know what I mean? Like, it was much more recent and yeah. relevant than it is now, yeah. when, like, a lot of the Holocaust survivors are dead. Yes, but at the time yeah. that the movie came out, yeah, they were not. They were very much alive, maybe going to go see the movie. Mm-hmm. And so... It, it may have been way more noticeable at the time, mm-hmm. the Jewish undertones and influence of the movie. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember when I first saw it, I did see the uh, tattoo. And to me, it was it just gave me, a, as I said before, a brief insight, a deep insight um, into what her life was before and how she's learned to um, still embrace life. Folks, do you love movies? Do you spend your days thinking about how much you love to watch them, the good ones and even the bad ones everyone told you not to like? If the answer to these questions is yes, then it sounds like Super Yaki is the place for you. 
The team at Super Yagi loves movies so much so that they've dedicated every waking moment of their life to bringing you top quality merchandise to showcase your love for them. From bumper stickers that tell the world about your love of the 1999 classic The Mummy to stylish hats that celebrate the fine works of Nora Ephron. They even have super soft t-shirts based on the internet's favorite collective husband, Oscar Isaac. Super Yaki brings you tangible love letters to movies and filmmakers that you can wear with pride. Plus, the team at Super Yaki screen prints all their apparel using eco-friendly, 100% water-based inks and ships with compostable poly mailers for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. So, if the spirit moves you, find them at superyaki.com and use the code SUPERMOVIES to get 10% off your next purchase. Let's all watch more movies. I like when she was saying, I, uh, you know, I pray, but do you communicate with God? And she says, no, I communicate with life. That's pretty beautiful, too. My favorite mod quote is when they're sitting in, <laughs> now that we're talking about mod. Sure, sure, sure. My favorite mod quote is when she um, takes Harold and they sit in that big field of flowers. I should like to change into a sunflower, most of all. They're so tall and simple. What flower would you like to be? I don't know. One of these, maybe? Why do you say that? Because they're all alike. Oh, but they're not. Look, see. Some are smaller, some are fatter. Some grow to the left, some to the right. Some even have lost some petals. All kinds of observable differences. You see, Harold, I feel that much of the world's sorrow comes from people who are this, yet allow themselves to be treated as that. I was just very moved by that quote from her. Just another thing about, about Ruth Gordon, mm -hmm. who plays Maude. Who I love um, deeply. Me too, man. Ah. She's so cool. Um, she's not Jewish. But she does have a relationship to Jewishness. At the time, Ruth Gordon was typecast as a Jewish mother. That was almost her entire career, was playing Jews and Jewish moms. So I think that despite her not actually being Jewish, casting her was a very deliberate choice because moviegoers associated her with being a Jewish. the Jewish mom oh, interesting. of the time. Um, so I think that that just kind of adds to the Jewishness that can kind of go unnoticed in the movie if you're mm -hmm. not really looking for it. And I think that at the time that the movie came out, mm -hmm. it probably was way more noticeable mm -hmm. because of Ruth Gordon, because of the recency of the Holocaust. Okay, one more. Okay. okay. So what about this? Because, you know, just talking about the suicides... Um, each one has kind of a comedic twist to it, you know. And the one where he's doing the Harry Carey with the with the actress, you know, with the sword. I have a question about that. What? <laughs> okay, so wait, you explain it and then I'll ask my question. Okay, well she's an actress. Enough said. A girlfriend. Yes. And she's like, Oh, I play Juliet, you know, blah 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 in some local theater, la 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 and he's doing this huge thing. She's so self involved that she outdies him. 
like Romeo and Juliet. I just thought that was hysterical. Okay, well, here's my question, though. Does she actually die? Because no. I've read the script of the movie and also the book, and it doesn't, neither of them say either way if she's actually dead or not. And when the mom comes into the room after she does the Juliet scene and plunges the dagger into her heart, Harold sits up when the mom comes in and looks at her, and the, the date is just laying on the ground. And I was like, is she... <gasps> dead oh. like why wouldn't she also get up to look at the mom who had just walked in the room and also harold has this look on his face that's like we did something really wrong here but then it's like never addressed again okay i never thought that i just thought it was an actress and you know actresses you know that um and so she was you know doing her moment a little bit bigger and maybe more professionally than he was doing his moment. But I saw that she tested it. It wasn't a retractable blade, but he didn't kill himself, so she couldn't no, kill himself. I don't know. I don't oh. know. This is, I just, I'm telling you, I read the script, and I also read the master's thesis book version of it. Wow, And it doesn't I say if you. she's alive or dead in either of those versions. All right, I'm saying she's alive. That's All what right. I'm saying. <laughs> I am. <laughs> I'm on. She's dead. So really, tiebreaker. Oh. Oh, I don't know. Um, something that was interesting in terms of this movie's relationship to Annie Hall, which is oh. the last movie that we did from this time period. Yeah, yeah. Um, is the therapy? Yes. Using therapy to represent stuffiness and like clinging to old times. Yes, that yes, yes. I was obsessed with every time that he goes to see the therapist. Yes. Harold and the therapist are wearing the exact exactly. same outfits. The they are mirroring each other. So they're like always posed the same, moving the same, like looking right at each other like yeah. they're in a mirror. Yeah, I don't think um, he ever really answers anything, does he? No. <laughs> the therapist just asks questions and he's like... I go to funerals, mm-hmm. and then we like leave the therapist's office, and we go to the funerals that yeah, he's, that's, he's hanging that's out at. Funny. Yeah, I thought it was very interesting how they they both movies of the time used therapy to be like a an outlandish thing that someone would be doing, and no one would and, talk about that. Right? That is and not okay. B something that signifies someone being trapped mm-hmm. in stuck in and very much stuck in their ways in their head. Yeah. 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 Um. What about the anti? storyline that's going on well um that's a that's a that's a good question the uh <clears throat> i like the politics in the sense that you know when it was Un- uncle walter i think his name is or victor well, i forget and the nixon you know uh, picture was behind him um i thought it was i thought it spoke today about uh you know having a uh, a career in the army i thought that one scene with the thing and she falls in the hall was a little maybe the this i like that scene less than the least of the whole movie i didn't love that scene but i appreciated that um they were you know talking about like the officiousness of a cop or you know the um life in the military and it goes against what you know maude is saying i don't believe in boundaries i don't believe in you know we're all we're all different and we should all get along I thought that Hal Ashby does a lot of that in his movies. Like in Shampoo, he would layer in politics. And I like the way this was layered in. I, I liked the the words that the uncle was using. Mm-hmm. I, feel like, I felt like they were all picked very purposefully. Like mm-hmm. each word had intention. Mm-hmm. You know, like him saying he was the right hand, but then he doesn't have a right hand. <laughs> he also says that if Harold joined the army, he would be working for peace and serving his country. <laughs> and even when um, 
even in that scene, which I agree is not that great, of Maude being a protester and Harold proving that he is too violent for combat, um, Maude has her sign and she's protesting. And the, the uncle says, what are you doing out here? And she says, well, I'm protesting for peace. And she's protesting on the side of a cliff by herself with no one around. And I just felt like, even though I thought that scene was weak, I yeah. agree with you. Yeah. I felt like, you know, every part of it had a very specific intention mm-hmm. about the time and the wars that the United States was in mm-hmm. at the time. And I felt like maybe Maude's protest was signifying how the protests of the time were falling on deaf ears. Oh, like Vietnam very nice. Protesting. Um, like she was protesting to no one and no one was hearing her and it was having zero impact. Mm-hmm. Although I do think that it has ties to today. I thought that Me it was too. very time specific and mm-hmm. I liked that about it. Yeah, it still holds up today. What else can I tell you? Well, I can tell you one thing that um, Minna has a um, t-shirt on, a Harold and Maude t-shirt that says, if you want to sing out, sing out. And you know what? Bought it from the Cat Stevens website. Super cool. But when she's not looking, I'm going to steal it. <laughs> All right. Well, that's an interesting thing that we can talk about. Stealing. Cat Steve- oh, uh-huh. stealing. Sure. Yes. Let's talk about that. No, no, no. About Cat Stevens. Uh. So I know that The Graduate came out before this movie, correct? Mm-hmm. So using one person or one group to create a soundtrack mm-hmm. that mirrors the story was not something new because The Graduate had come out before this, but I do think that... Uh, Simon and Garfunkel. Yes. Okay, so like I Simon see. and Garfunkel, you know, doing the music for the whole movie, but I do think that using music from one group mm-hmm. and then having that music, like, basically be part of the story, you can't watch Harold and Maude without thinking about Cat Stevens. Although I know that this movie didn't create that, mm-hmm. I do think that they used it expertly and maybe refined some of the things going on um with using one person's music to help almost narrate a story like the graduate did mm-hmm. um because and i could be remembering incorrectly but i don't think in the graduate there were any scenes where the music told us what was going on in the scene That's it just kind of accompanied the scenes yeah. well it, um i agree with you as far as the the graduate i remember uh, uh, you know um simon and garfunkel but that didn't have the same impact as Harold and Maude with Cat Stevens, um, because it really felt like you know there were his songs would like bookend the, these scenes, and like he was kind of like the narrator in a weird way. And so that was really kind of the first time that I I didn't notice it when I saw The Graduate. I learned about that, but when I saw Harold and Maude, I really that music um, it was all one. It was all mm-hmm. part of it. And I don't know if it's ever... I mean, what other movies have been used music that effectively? It's... I mean... Yeah, I don't know. Or that way. Yeah, I mean, I can't think of another movie that used music to help tell the story Mm -hmm. in scenes where maybe talking wouldn't have been as effective, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we heard the doctor say, she's dead, she passed away, and then we heard Harold crying. I think it would have been emotional, but I don't think it would have been as impactful and as gut punchy as not being able to hear them and having Cat Stevens tell us mm-hmm. how Harold was feeling in that moment through music. Mm-hmm. You know, the other thing um, is when you watch the movie or as a, as a director, you think, okay, now she died. 
how do I get the energy to have him get in the car and go up and do this thing and then be free? How, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's a hard thing. What do you do? Do you have him contemplate or like write letters? Or, you know, it's how do you keep that energy going? Because it's so dynamic. Mm -hmm. So when she died, all the way they blended that, as you were saying, the music over top, you know, that, and then the driving, and then back there, and then the driving. So that kept the whole thing able to... For him to go off yeah. the cliff. I also it's so think, effective. I also think because in the ambulance, they have that really famous, like the famous line from the movie, which is Harold says to her, you can't leave me, Maud. I love you. And she says, that's wonderful. Now go and love some more. Oh, you're killing me. I know. It's, it's, it's honestly, so it's devastating to hear that when you watch the movie. Even to say it is, is devastating again. What a fuss this is. So unnecessary. Set yourself so. I love you. I love you. Oh, hell. That's one. Go and love small. I think that then having, after, that's the last thing that you hear before the music starts, is Maude saying, oh, go and good. love some more. And then after she dies, we see Harold literally go and love more. Yeah. He dumps the hearse, he yeah. drives the hearse, he throws the hearse off a cliff. Yeah, yeah. And then he takes his banjo and he's like, all right, off I go to love more. Yeah, oh, exquisite. It's it's beautiful. I, I know that the movie wasn't popular at the time because there is a sex scene, use that word extremely loosely, He's blowing between Harold and Maude. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was the reason why the movie wasn't successful at the time was because people were like, that's disgusting. Yeah. So I guess two questions. One, I've been thinking about this a lot because when I think about it from a modern post-Me Too perspective, I'm like, well, why doesn't this age difference bother me? I think if it was between a man, if the man was older, I think it would bother me. Um, so I've just been kind of doing some reflecting on like why the age difference really doesn't bother me at all in the movie. Um, and I was wondering what your thoughts on the age difference were. Well, I believed it so deeply and I was brought in, you know, she's so, you know, she's such a rascal, you know, and she's so much fun that you were just like, I'll, I'll hang out with her, <laughs> you know, and then what she has to say and what she's doing is so beautiful. I was just taken from the very first moment. I totally believed it. You know, even seeing them in bed together, I thought it looked kind of beautiful in a way. And he's blowing bubbles. You're kind of like, okay, maybe they did it. <laughs> maybe they didn't. Okay. But, um, yeah, I just accepted it with my open heart, you know. And I'm with you. If it had been, we're so used to seeing, you know, 45-year-old men and 18-year-old women, you know. And if the women get to be, say, 25, that's a little too old, you know. I think one of the reasons that it, it didn't get great reviews, um, but also it's a Paramount movie, right? Mm -hmm. So I think they released Godfather. There were some big movies that were released at the time. And I think that um, Robert Evans was... Um, like, this movie's not going to make any money, but he loved it so much. He loved the script so much that they make it, but they don't really promote it because he's got so many big movies. So I think that it may have been lost in the cracks, but people loved it so much they brought it forth. Yeah. So it might have been a, a studio decision to not really promote it. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about the age difference, and um, I, 
I was thinking to me, the reason why I'm not bothered by it is because their relationship is not about sex. Mm -mm. Other than that one scene of them waking up together, we never see them kiss. We never see them hold hands. We never see like, there is nothing sexual about the relationship. Mm -hmm. Honestly, including the sex scene. Mm -hmm. You just watch Harold blow bubbles and Maude sleep. Mm -hmm. And that's it. I don't know. I felt like maybe if like the movie was like, Mom was like teaching him things about sex and like rock and roll. It was like really hard. Yeah, she's getting down. Yeah. <laughs> but if it was like a sexier movie, then I would be kind of creeped out by it. Yeah. But because that was not the nature of their relationship at all, I was okay with it because I was like, if they're just in love. Like, yeah, and I was. Uh, when she's I w- not trying to manipulate him. She's just living her life, and he's following her like a puppy, like yeah. along the way. But she's giving him such beautiful, beautiful words of advice and love. Yeah, I wanted to be him. I wanted to be around Maud and and listen to her stuff. And everything she did was just kind of uh, twisted a little bit. Yeah, I I I wanted to be there. Me too. Hmm. Me too. What else? I thought that another song, obviously not by Cat Stevens, but uh, Big Yellow Taxi would have been a good song for this movie because um, of that scene where they're picnicking at the demolition site. <laughs> and she's like, it's, this definitely has an appeal, but I'll ask you, Harold, is it enough? <laughs> And then, like, the juxtaposition of that, which is what he likes to do, with what she likes to do, which is, like, frolic in the fields with the flowers and plant trees that are being suffocated in cities. I was like, oh, there is, like, an anti-capitalist, oh, like, for building sure. things story going on in here. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's subtle, you yeah. know? Yeah, it really is. And that's what I appreciate, because we don't really... We don't make movies like this so much anymore. We're just, it's slowly revealed through character. You know, it's now like in your face and the themes are screamed out at you and, you know. Mm-hmm. I loved um, that, you know, that uh, anti-capitalist messaging that's going on can mm-hmm. be summarized in one of my other favorite mod quotes. Oh, what? When they replant the tree and she says... The earth is my body and my head is in the... And my mind is in the stars. (laughs) And then she says, who said that? And Harold says, I don't know. I don't think anyone said that. She's like, I guess I said that. Cool. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, you're awesome. She just is. Oh, I just loved... And I loved her um, little magical house. She does have a magical house. The train. Yo, can we talk about um, the one thing that has kind of puzzled me and i was like what is going on here does she have a wooden sculpture of a vagina in the middle of her house oh that he was feeling yeah i think so i think so too well that's what we think that it's a vagina all right right i mean i don't know if it was i don't know um because i was like yeah he's feeling that wood and the movement and the shape and that was honestly more sexual to me absolutely than the sex absolutely and then you see his head mm-hmm. you know through it so it's right. like head, like a birthing right. who he is yeah yeah that was beautiful also talking about harold's transition his makeup oh. m- masterfully done he's so white like a sheet of paper in the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. and as he hangs out with mod more they tone down the white interesting makeup. until ah. at the end he's like flushed regular bud court but in the beginning, they paint him very white, and then they back off the makeup. 
as he spends more time with her. Which I, I love that. I didn't notice it. I didn't notice it. That's there good. There's so subtle. many small things, subtle small things going on. His mm-hmm. outfits also, every single thing he wears, I want. Me he has too. the coolest clothes. Fantastic. <laughs> and also, his little skinny legs. Yeah. You know, and like... He's sh- like, in every scene, he's wearing a differently brightly colored corduroy bell-bottomed suit and I'm like I want it oh he's so great you know I showed this to a friend of mine recently and she likes happy endings and uh so she was you know into it and then when Maude dies she was devastated which you know you're supposed to be but she was she couldn't really get over the fact that why would they have more years together and I thought well they had what they had and that's what the value is and then he's going to take what he learned and probably have a great life and relationship yeah she was pretty disturbed by that it was an her death was an opportunity to put in practice what Ma had been teaching him yeah because he lost something that he loved but he had to learn to be okay with it and be like i got to love you for the time that i got to love you and isn't that a beautiful wonderful thing Mm -hmm. as opposed to me never having gotten to love you Mm -hmm. at all Mm -hmm. i should just be happy that i got to love her for the time that i loved her and yeah. now go on to do something that Maude would be proud of. Yeah, yeah that's hard. <sighs> that is hard. Every episode we've been talking about what is the impact of this movie? Is it a classic? Uh, you know, what has the influence of this movie been on, on other movies? Um, and sort of like having that, is it timeless? Is it a classic conversation? I definitely think it's a classic. I agree. But, and I definitely think it's timeless. But when I think about why, I'm not sure. Because I don't know if I see an impact that it had on other movies because it was lost for so long. Okay, so you're saying that the only way it has an impact is on other movies? Well, I'm not... No, I mean, like, I guess it could have a personal impact on someone. But I'm just saying, like, in terms of what makes a classic movie a classic movie, if I'm thinking about it in terms of how it affected the industry... I don't really think that Harold and Maude did because it was lost for like, what, 15 years? It wasn't until it made its first profit mm-hmm, after mm-hmm. it came out. So I'm just not sure. So I was wondering, you know, if you think it's a classic, if you think I it's do. timeless, what, what your opinion is on that. I think it's timeless. It reminds me when we were talking about Napoleon Dynamite, that it's, it was a very specific world that we're in mm-hmm. and then the things that we're learning you know thematically we're, we're attached to the love story so deeply and we believe in it um and that's what makes it a successful movie you know so did it have an impact on the business you know back then it's just weird to think of but a movie would come out and then it would leave do you know what i mean it wasn't like well i'm gonna watch it on tv or get it right. streaming somewhere it would leave and so you would think well where is it (laughs) you know and sometimes it would show up again on a kind of a second you know run uh movie theater so it's kind of hard to understand what the impact was you know at that time but i think it's a classic because uh it still works it still plays you know and it still does as effective you know but how did it uh influence you i think it's just like the lesson that maude teaches harold she also teaches us she opens our eyes to a world of mm, possibilities, a world of looking at tomorrow as a new day. Yeah, it's that very... we can live however we want to live it, mm-hmm. with no impact from how we lived today. Mm-hmm. And I think I definitely carry that message with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When I first saw it, you know, of course, it was like Annie Hall in the sense that with the um, therapy, because I was in therapy at 17, um, which was a secret. 
Okay, so edit this out, okay? Um, anyway, so it was a secret. And so the idea that they were talking about therapy was just really life-affirming to me. The idea that you, I didn't know I was gay then, right? But I knew that I was interested in something bigger than like getting married and like what? So the idea that he fell in love with someone who did not look at all like, you know, his mom would like, you know, you, do you bring that woman home? So I was very interested in that possibility. And again, I'm saying that I, the way she looked at things, like instead of comforting him saying, you know, uh, take that and, and live with it, all the stuff that I had been taught, she was teaching it, she was, she was freeing me in the themes. I felt like I could fly after I saw this, you know? Yeah, so it had a huge, huge uh, impact, like also the purpose of life. And, you know, I was very interested in death. Like, what is, we're all going to die. Like, how do you come to terms with that? Mm -hmm. So that was uh, important, accepting death. Yeah. Maybe any movie that influences people, whether they like it or not, in such a strong way, instantly becomes timeless. If I you can think have so. as strong of an impact on, you know, you then and now. Yeah. That it's timeless. I totally, totally agree. Beautiful movie. Go see it. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody go see Harold and Maude. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Movies That Made Her But Not Me. Join us next week when Lauren and Minna attend the Prince's Ball and discuss the 2004 film Ella Enchanted. Thank you to our sponsor, FilmCred, an online film publication publishing insightful film and television reviews, interviews, video essays, and coverage of film festivals. If you enjoyed this episode's discussion of the Jewishness of Harold and Maude, I encourage you to check out an article I wrote about it for FilmCred titled The Greatest Comedic Tragedy, How Harold and Maude Redefined Holocaust Humor. Visit film-cred.com to learn more. Thank you also to Antonio Ortiz for composing our theme and all other music on this podcast. And lastly, thank you to you, listeners. We've started a podcast email for listeners to email us and provide feedback, comments, questions, and anything else you want us to know. Email us at moviesmadeher at gmail.com. Be sure to follow us at Movies Made Her on Instagram and Twitter to stay up to date on episode releases, the movies we'll be covering, and all things podcast related.